Hey guys, well, good morning uh, this morning. I want to shout out a special hello to all you fathers. I hope it's been, you've had a great Father's Day as I have. And uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hint, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 24 now as we finish up studying this great book. Uh, so why don't we pray and then we jump into it. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this uh, final chapter of the book of Joshua, I pray that you'd speak to us wherever we're at with you. Lord, I pray for those of us who need to make big decisions in um, our lives to follow you. I pray that, that we would because of what we read today. Lord, I pray that for those of us who, are in, who need encouragement or would find encouragement, Lord, change us to be like the people you want us to be as we encounter you in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you about two people who um, who I, I I knew one of them. Uh, she's passed away, but uh, I still know this other guy. This guy grew up in a very strong Christian home. Went to church uh, two times uh, every Sunday morning and evening throughout high school. Um, and he, if you talk with him, he knows so much about theology and he's read so many Christian books and all this kind of stuff. And he came, uh, he will go to church, but he kind of slipped off going to church. And people would talk to him and say, hey, um, what about church? You, you know, what about Jesus and all this kind of stuff? And he would say, yeah, I'm still a Christian and I'm still, you know, I've read all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And he would come back to church and then kind of fall away. And then that, that was kind of like this cycle that was happening. And now... Unfortunately, he is not living a life that in any way could be called a Christian life. He, he now uh, doesn't go to a church, even though he tells a lot of people that he is. He's living for the things of this world. He's given in to the things of this world. And yet if you talk with him, and you talk with him about all the things that he believes or all the things that he knows. He will talk about all the books that he's read and, and, and the structure of the book of Romans. That's what he told me in the last, um, the last time I met with him because I said I was preaching through the book of Romans. He goes, oh, isn't it funny that Romans does this? And yet he's not living for Jesus. He's living for the things of this world. Let me tell you about uh, someone else. Her name was Ellie, Ellie Mepham. Uh, she was born uh, between the two world wars, the two great world wars. And in her life, both a child of hers and her husband passed away. And yet she kept following Jesus. She was a, a, a pillar of her church and was, was clothed with humility. Uh, she never uh, told anyone how much she knew. She just lived it out. She served and she lived her whole life following Jesus. Now, can I ask you this question? Which person do you want to be? Do you want to, do you want to be the kind of person that, that is so enticed by the things of this world that, that end up leaving you know, faith in Jesus because they are being enticed by the world? And even though that you know so much about God, you just walk away from it. Or do you want to be like Ellie? who despite all the things in her life, all the problems in her life, kept following Jesus to the end. Which one do you want to be? But, but there's a more important question. 
Which one are you going to be? Given where your life is at now and given the practices in your life, which one are you going to be? Given, the given what your heart loves and what your heart doesn't love, which one are you going to be? So see the choice before you, that's the choice before you today. Are you going to remember what God has done for you and live accordingly? Or are you going to forget basically what God has done on a heart level and walk away? That's a choice before us all, but it's also a choice before Israel. That, that choice is, is Israel's in this passage. What is Israel going to do? Israel has been saved by God, has been given this land, and now her choice is before her. Is she going to keep following God or, or worship the gods of Canaan? We're going to see as we look at this passage, and that question uh, looms large in this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a great God, a great choice, and a great life. A great God, a great choice, and a great life. Well, let, let's have a look at a great God. Now, now, in the first section, in our first reading, which Howard read, uh, verses 1 to 13 of chapter 24, what you see is Joshua taking Israel through her history starting in Abraham in verses 2 to 4, it says that God rescued Abraham out of worshipping other gods to worship him. In verses 5 to 7, we see God rescuing uh, his people from Egypt and they were hemmed into the Red Sea and God saved them from that. In verses 8 to 10, God kept them on the right path during the, the, the time in the wanderings. And verses 11 to 13, God gives them the promised land. And who is the chief actor in all this? It is, as you kind of probably would have guessed, it is God. Have a look at verse 3 with me. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many, gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. Have a look at, um, have a look at verse 5 with me. Then I sent Moses and I afflicted the Egyptians by, why, by, by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, have a look down at verse 8. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who live east of the Jordan. Have a look at verses 12 and 13 with me. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. And also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you the land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. What does, what, what does God do? The answer is everything. God has saved his people over and over again. He, he has given them this new land. He does this all because of God's grace. This history is not only a testimony to God and his power, but it's also a testimony, and I think primarily to God and his grace. There's no point in this passage where you see that Israel is not either weak or helpless or going the wrong way. And yet... God is the one that increasingly over and over and over gives them what he promised because they are his people. This is grace. This is an absolute undeserved gift all the way through. 
Uh, when I think of, of God's grace, I think of a story that a guy named Timothy Jones tells in a book that he wrote. Um, he, he talks about having a, a, a new girl adopted. That the, the family adopts um, a new girl, and in her previous home, the the previous family will go to Disneyland, and yet she would stay with other uh, another family of family friends or something and never got to go to Disneyland and she always thought that she didn't get to go to Disneyland because she was really bad she was really not doing the right thing and so that was a punishment and so she told them about how she always wanted to go to Disneyland so Timothy and his family organized a trip to Disneyland and in the the month leading up to their trip to Disneyland this little girl this adopted girl was terrible. She was stealing things when she she was telling lies and all this kind of stuff. And, and Timothy sat down with her and, and, and with tears in her eyes, she said, I'm being bad. Does that mean I'm not going to go to Disneyland? And he said, you're part of this family. You're going to go. And so her behaviour, you think, would improve. It didn't. It got worse. Anyway, the, the, the day come, they go to Disneyland, and, and I've never been to Disneyland, but in the book he says it's all overpriced, overpriced food, too long lines, overpriced toys, all this kind of stuff. She gets home, and, and she's a completely different little girl. And as Tim, Timothy is, is um, putting her into bed, she snuggles in her, into her stuffed unicorn uh, Duna, and she opens her eyes and says, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I'm good. It's because I'm yours. That's the message of our Outrageous Grace. That's the message of, of uh, Joshua 24, 1 to 13. Israel didn't get all these things because they were good. They got them because they were God's. And if you, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you have been saved from not only the power, but the penalty of your sin. You didn't get that because you were good. You got that because you were God's. It is God's grace to you. When Jesus died for you on the cross, taking away your sin, your guilt, and your shame, you did not get that because you were good. You got that because you were God's. It is God's amazing grace that has saved you and given you everything. So how are you going to respond? I don't want you to do anything with this on one level. I want you to think about what God has done for you and be thankful and, and praise him for what he has done. Bask in that, in his amazing grace for you. So tell it to your heart every day that your heart will rejoice at that amazing grace. God didn't save you because you were good. He saved you because you are his. That is God's outrageous, amazing grace. Well, let's have a look at what well, we've seen a great God, a great gracious God, I would say. Now, let's have a look at a great choice. Before I go to this second point, I should have said at the start, we are going to have Q&A afterwards. So if you want to, if there are any questions, you can put it in the chat. David will choose the best questions if there's tons of them and um, ask them to me. But, but let's have a look at a great choice. And 
And one of the things I want to say in this section, verses 14 to 28 is the section where we're going to have a look at, is that that Joshua is saying, hey, this is how you're meant to live. And notice the structure of this whole chapter. They are reminded about God's amazing grace, and then they are told what how they should live. That is how the Bible works. It is not that, hey, you live this certain way and God will be loving to you. No, it is God has been loving and gracious to you, therefore live. To get that the wrong way around means to get to not understand the Bible, to not understand the gospel. But let's have a look at what is happening. What he says, what Joshua puts before them is a choice. Have a look at verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether whether the gods of your ancestors serve uh, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is basically giving them what I would say is a logical choice. You've got the choice between serving God who has done all these amazing things or serving a bunch of statues. Make your choice. And this is, uh, it's kind of a weird logic here because God has done so many amazing things for them, not only just in verses you know, 1 to 13, Joshua has recounted those, but, but these people have seen God make the sun stand still in chapter 9, destroy the walls of Jericho. They've seen God stop the, the mighty Jordan River. And when you think about that, there's, there's no choice, right? The only choice, the only smart choice here is to serve God, serve the God of the Bible, not these idols that the, that the surrounding nations serve. But not only that, it's not only a logical choice, but it's a considered choice. Have a look at verse 16 with me. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us out and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we have traveled. And the Lord drove out, sorry, the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. What a great response that is, right? That's the kind of response. If, if I was Joshua, that's exactly what I want. That God, Joshua says, hey, you've got to choose between serving Yahweh, serving the God of the Bible and serving the gods of the lands. And they're going to say, well, we're going to serve the, we're going to serve the God of the Bible. That's what we're going to do because God has done all this stuff. But have a look at verse 19 of what Joshua says. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Now, it's kind of, this is a bit of a buzzkill. It's throwing like cold water on all their enthusiasm, isn't it? Oh, we're going to serve God. And Joshua goes, actually, you can't. Now, now, is he saying that they definitely can't or is something else happening? No, I think what he's saying is don't get, don't get up in the hype of what's happening. 
think, think about this. You've got the nation of Israel there. Joshua has just recounted all that God has done, and he's given them a choice. And he is saying to them, you've got to choose. They go, yes, we're going to choose God. And he's saying, you've got to consider who God is. You've got to consider this choice. God is a holy God. Don't just throw out mere words. Don't just make a, a decision based on emotion. Because this God is a holy God and you walk away from him, you will be under his judgment. It reminds me of a number of years ago when I was a teenager, I was asked to play in this band for a, for a different church at, uh, in the town I grew up in. And they were going to get a, uh, an evangelist from Sydney, right? And they were going to put on this big youth rally. And I was, I was just keen to play guitar and in, in, this, in this band. It was great. And I, can, I remember rocking up. And in the first song, I looked out and I was blown away by how many people from the school I went to were actually there. There were dozens of these kids. I didn't think there would be anybody there, but there were dozens of these kids. And it was very interesting as, as the evangelist actually gave, gave their message and, and so many of these kids came forward to give their life to Jesus. And I was really encouraged by that to see this kind of overwhelming choice for Jesus. And yet I was discouraged as it was only a matter of weeks that the majority of these people who come forward have decided to actually walk away from Jesus, to choose other things, to worship and not Jesus. And what Joshua is saying here is he's saying, I don't want that for you guys. I don't want you to make this really big, nice decision and then just walk away two days later. You've got to, this is a considered decision, Israel. But also, finally, it's an exclusive choice. It's either follow Yahweh or the, the God of the Bible or these idols. You can't have a little bit of both. You can't pick and choose. This is not a spiritual smorgasbord. And it's not one of these things where, where you are kind of like a bandwagon jumper. When, when, when the God of the Bible is really working for you, you jump here. And, and when there's when Baal is working, I'm going to go over there. Or Marduk is working, I'm going to go over there. It's, it's not that. No, you've got to choose today. See, it's unlike sporting teams. I, I actually follow a team called the Golden State Warriors. I have followed them since 1993, and they're the most frustrating team to follow. And it's not because of what happens on the court or what happens you know, in, uh, in the locker room or anything with the organization is frustrating because they were terrible for years. And I'm fine with that, right? But then they became amazing. They won some championships. And everyone jumped on board with them. They're like, yeah, the Golden State Warriors are the best, blah, blah, blah. And then they had a terrible year where they had injuries. And everyone who was saying, you know, only a year or two ago that they're the best was saying, oh, I'm not following them anymore because I'm going to follow, you know, the, the LA Lakers or the Milwaukee Bucks or whatever. And now they're looking better. And the very people who threw them under the bus are now going, hey, I've got a, I've got a Steph Curry Golden State Warriors jersey. I'll start, start working that. And I'll just go, no, 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 you've got to pick a side. If you're going to follow the Golden State Warriors, you, you follow them through thick and thin. You, you don't just bandwagon jump all the time. Choose who you're going to follow. Now, now, sporting teams are, are a bit silly to say this, say this about because it doesn't really matter if you 
kind of bandwagon jump, except you'll get me frustrated, right? But but that's kind of what Joshua is saying. Don't just kind of follow Yahweh for a bit, the God of the Bible for a bit, and then these other gods. Don't, don't mix and match. No, you've got to make a choice. It's either you're all in with the God of the Bible or not. Which one are you going to do? You're either worshipping the God of the Bible or you're worshipping the idols of this world. Which is it going to be? And the choice is yours and mine for that today too. We are either worshipping Jesus and him exclusively or we're not. We're not dabbling a little bit around the edges. We're not going, oh, you know, at the center of my life when it works is Jesus. And yet, oh, no, now the center of my life is my children or the center of my life is my job or money or this, or this hobby. No, what's at the center of your life? Now, now, the thing is, you may say, hence, I don't have an idol. We don't have idols around today. We don't have, you know, Baal. There's no Baal temple around. That's uh, totally true. But, but we have so many idols around today because an idol is anything that you put at the center of your life where you are looking for contentment and happiness from that thing. And it can be your, your children or your, your spouse or your marriage or, your, or, 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 a, um, or a job or money. And the choice is this, which are you going to serve today? If you're going to serve Jesus, serve him wholeheartedly. If you are going to serve your job, serve it wholeheartedly. Don't do it kind of a little bit of both, but make, make a considered decision. What has what your job done for you? What has money done for you? The problem with your job is if you, if you let your, your job down, guess what? You may not have a job tomorrow, but if you let Jesus down, his grace is always sufficient for you. You may so make a mess of your family that, that the relationships break. But you, so, you, you might make a mess of your relationship with Jesus, but he will always forgive you. Choose the right one. Choose Jesus today. Don't choose the things of this world. That's the great choice before us. And finally, let's have a look at the, a great life. In fact, there's three great lives. In this final section, verses 29 to 33, we see three great lives, Joshua, Eliezer, and Joseph. Three men who lived their life for the God of the Bible and lived it well. And finally, they get what is in the Bible, in the Old Testament at least, a great end to their life. They get an honourable burial in this new land that God has given them. And this is a bit like saying, a bit like um, having a funeral where everyone gets up and says, these people were amazingly faithful men. And you see how great Joshua's life was. Have a look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done Israel. This is a, a testimony to Joshua's great leadership. He served God and led his people in the service of God, and they did it for his whole lifetime while he was leading them. What an amazing testimony is written here about Joshua's life. 
I remember a number of years ago, I was reading a book and uh, it was a quite, quite a good book. I can't remember the, um, I can remember it, it really impacted me, but I can't remember what the title of the book was. Uh, kind of weird, I know. But um, there was one particular part which really impacted me. And, and he talked about, the, the author talked about um, going with him to a, a, a funeral. You, you walk into the church and you, you go up and it's an open casket and you go up to the open casket and kind of with shock and a little bit of horror, you, you see it's you. And then you realise that no one else can see you here, see you like walking up at your own funeral. So you just have a seat at your own funeral. And then he asks a really tough question or the really kind of probing question. What are people going to say at your funeral? You ever thought about that? What are people going to say at your funeral? Are they going to say, here is a person who lived for Jesus. Here is a person that taught me about Jesus. Here is a person that, that I you couldn't tell a difference from his his or her church self to their work self are you going to have a great life where at the end your children will get up or your friends will get up and say here was a life well lived for jesus see if you remember joshua chapter 24 verses 1 to 13 you remember god's grace to you if, if you remember that, what you will do is you will choose to live for God in every area of your life. And what that will result in is a great life well lived for Jesus, a life passionately lived for him. And people will get up at your funeral and they will say, here is a life well lived for Jesus. Here is a life that was lived in response to his amazing grace. That is the life that you want to live. That's the life we all want to live. Let's pray. Father God, I pray and I thank you for this passage. And I thank you for the book of Joshua. I thank you for your amazing grace. And, and I also pray, thank you that you make it very clear that it is you that has saved us and done everything for us. But you also make it very clear how we're meant to respond. Help us to respond rightly to you. And finally, help us to respond rightly every day of our lives so we would live the kind of life that, that means that not only we stand before, uh, you know, at, at that last day before you and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray that we would impact other people with our life. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to get a drink of water. But if you want to ask um, some questions, please put, put them in the chat. And I'll do my best to answer those questions. Excuse me. So David can ask me on your behalf if there are some questions. I might be getting off it easier this morning.
Nothing appearing yet. No. Well, if there uh, if there are no questions uh, coming up, um, actually, just kind of wave your hand if you are trying to type a question. You need more time. No, it doesn't look like it. I, oh, here we go. Did right, Joshua? So, I go for it. So, did Joshua? in chapter 24, verse 25, give new laws, or was it the old law? Let me just get up. I, I, silly me, I closed my Bible. Let me just read that out. Joshua 24, verse 25. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. No, the, I think the word reaffirmed there, it just says he actually read to them, he probably read to them, um, if not the whole of books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and that kind of thing, he basically said, this is how you're meant to live. This is how the law says you're meant to live and therefore live in that way. So it's a reaffirmation, not new laws. Okay. Another question. Joshua warns the people not to turn away from God or God will turn against them. Mm. How do we know God will not turn against us when we mess up? Yeah, so I think the words there when it, when it says turn against them, um, those were, what he's saying there is is there's a flippancy to turning back, back, back to God. And I think if you see in the rest of the Old Testament, when they come back to God and he does, he says, oh, I'm just your, um, your worship is like noise to my ears, that kind of thing. In the worship, they'd be asking him for forgiveness. It, it, there's a flippancy to it, right? As a, oh, we're in trouble, so we'll come back to God type thing. And it's really not after God, for God, and for his forgiveness. It's just like, I just want to be out of this trouble. If you come to God and you just say, oh, you know, I've made a mess of my life. I just want you to put me back on track and I don't really care about this relationship. I don't think God is actually going to forgive you right but if you say to god god i have stuffed up you are not at the center of my life and i need to, i need to change will you forgive me that's when god is going to forgive it's the difference between a heart that is contrite before god bows before him and wants him to forgive and really a heart that doesn't want god but just wants god to get them out of the mess and so how do you know uh, that God will not turn against us when we mess up. The question is, are you coming to God asking for forgiveness, absolute forgiveness, and a relationship with him? Or are you asking God just for a little bit of forgiveness so you can get out of the mess? This is very different. It's very different. But you, we ultimately know, for those of us who are actually contrite when it comes to God, and coming before him, we know that he's not going to turn against us because of what Jesus has done. He has shown us in the cross that he has dealt with our sin once and for all. And so we can come back to the cross over and over again. That's how I'd answer that question. Okay. All right, here's a, another one. God says in verse 7 of chapter 24. Yep. You saw with your own eyes yep. the Egyptians dying in the Red Sea. Yep. But that generation died in the wilderness. How yep. do you see this verse working? Yeah, so it, it's a bit like when we sing, I am, you are, we are Australian, 
you know, all those verses, I am the, I can't even remember the words now, right? Uh, I, I should have thought about this more, but, um, you know, I, I am the drove, it talks about being different people, right? And when I sing that, I go, actually, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. But you, you combine it together and that's the experience of being Australian, right? I am, you are, we're all Australian because there's a sense in which this is our collective consciousness or our collective identity or collective memory. And when, when in verse 7 and there's other parts in the Bible where it says, you saw how uh, God did this in the Exodus, you saw how God did this in the conquest or whatever, and you go, well, I wasn't around for that. Okay, but that's part of the story of Israel that we're in, um, you know, that, that you are part of. And so it's not literally saying, hey, you were there, but it's saying this is part of your story. And it's using that kind of language to say you are bought into this because of what Yahweh has done, not only in the past, but now also. Okay. So, so many died suffering at the hands of the Egyptians or wandering in the desert. Where was God for them? Yeah, so let's take that in two parts. The first is the wandering in the desert. Um, part, of, part of them dying in wandering in the desert is because they didn't believe God and this was God's judgment on them. And so that, that's one thing. The suffering in, in, in under the Egyptians is this, that what God was doing, we take uh, Genesis 15, God was saying the sin of the Amorites, the sin in the people of Canaan hasn't reached its limit, so you cannot uh, go in and take the land. And so for 400 years they are enslaved in Egypt waiting for that to happen, right? And so where was God for them? Make sure, we've got to make sure that we, re we remember that the God of the Bible says that this life is really significant and important, but it's not all there is that we can suffer in this life immeasurably and yet God is still bringing us towards our heavenly home. And so I think there is a sense in which the people who are suffering under a brutal oppression in Egypt still had that to look forward to. Uh, was God hearing them and their cries? Absolutely. It says in, in, in Exodus uh, chapter 1 that God has heard their cries and he provides them a rescuer in Moses. But for those people who suffered and died in, in, in Egypt, uh, they have got the hope of heaven to look forward to, just like we do, even though that heavenly hope wasn't as explicitly mentioned in that section of, the, of uh, you know, the story of God and his people as it is in the rest of the Bible. Okay. There's a, a comment here that you might want to comment on, yeah. more of an observation than a question that says, I think it's prudent to also consider the judgment of God together with the grace of God. Yep. Verse 19 provides quite a severe warning for disobedience. Chapter 23 yep. also provides many warnings for not following God. All of these warnings came to pass in judges. Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin and were under grace. However, we should not treat this grace cheaply. Absolutely. And I think um, there are warnings all the way through um, the scriptures, and I think you see that actually in Deuteronomy, that that um, 
all the way all the way through in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, if you follow these gods, hey, you're going to get judged like this. So absolutely, we should not treat grace cheaply at all. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book called The Cost of Discipleship talks about cheap grace, this idea. And I think this is what Joshua is getting at, right? When he says, hey, well, God's not going to forgive you. He's a holy God. It, it, it's not cheap, this grace that you have been saved under cheaply it's not to say hey well i can live however i want and i'm going to come back and kind of go oh well we're cool with god and that kind of thing it is no consider consider uh what god has done but consider who he is and respond rightly don't treat it cheaply so absolutely i i agree with you unfortunately here's the thing i can't fit everything in every sermon but that's actually a really good point so thank you okay i, th- I think we've um there's one more question but See how we go with this one. This will be the last one. Yeah. How do we measure in practice whether Jesus is the center of our lives? Yeah. Assume it's not a function of time that we do thing for Jesus. No. It. I think there's two things, right? You've got to ask two questions. What am I daydreaming about, right? I think we. if you're daydreaming about a bunch of different things, right, that's okay you might be going oh you know it's going to be really good getting out of lockdown and i can't wait to get away from sydney for a bit that's okay right uh or it might be oh you know daydreaming about the time when you know you go to a you know you might get a promotion and it's going to be better or something like that but if you're daydreaming about the same thing all the time and you're waiting for the day or the moment where you will have that thing or be able to experience that and your life will be complete, that may be, uh, that, that may be a, a description of a life where you've got something other than Jesus in the center because you are looking at for something other than Jesus to to give you the life that you've always wanted, right? The other thing is this. Imagine if something was taken away from you, something that you've got in your life, um, would you walk away from Jesus, right? So, for example, if uh, if you lost your job and couldn't go on in your career, would you be so frustrated with God that you would walk away from him? Or even harder, right? If you lost your family, would you walk away from Jesus because uh, you are so frustrated with him? Well, I think that shows if, if, that, if you would walk away from Jesus if you lost something in your life, I would, I would say there's a sense in which you can see that that is actually more important than Jesus that you're trusting in Jesus as long as you have this thing. And therefore, that thing takes priority in your life and is actually at the center of it. And so what I would say is take a checklist. What are you dreaming about? What are you daydreaming? Is it always the same thing? Well, if it is, uh, maybe maybe there's an idol there. Maybe there's something that you're living for that's not Jesus. And secondly, well, have a look at the things in your life. If if God took those away from you or one of those things away from you, would you walk away from Jesus? Well, maybe if you, if well, if you are, if you would walk away from Jesus, I dare say you're just worshipping Jesus for that thing or those things or for, for you to have a good life. And therefore, that's at the center of your life and not Jesus. Okay. 
Time for the next song, please, Hans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're going to sing a, a song, which is an important song for us, because this passage talks about not being divided between different gods and that kind of thing. And so we want to live undivided hearts. We want to live hearts that are so passionate about Jesus that we're not divided. And so we're going to sing a song about not being undivided. Let's sing that. <laughs> 